You're listening. No. You're listening to the Buns.com Podcast Network. (laughs) (laughs) Buns, buns, buns. Hello, lovers. Welcome to You Gotta Love It, the show where you tell us and the rest of the world the things that you love that we might have missed, the show where you can come to discover the best things you never knew existed, and the show where you can force us to sit through the worst entertainment you can find and say, well, you gotta love it. It's been a while. I feel like I said that the last time we recorded, but it's also true this time. These are few and far between, so let's make it a good one. With me, ah, excuse me. It's been so long, I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Koji. I am a part-time Pokemon trainer and full-time time traveler. C- citizen of Krakoa. Yeah. We are all Krakoans. Um, yes. And with me, baby, as always, <laughs> is my good friend. And I don't even know. I don't even know you anymore. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. I don't know myself. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, let's do it. What, what's uh, what do we got on tap? Andrew Patterson. That's everybody. right. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't introduce myself. Yeah. I I don't know what you are these days. We'll see. Maybe I'll get a better handle on it next week or next episode. Um, what do we got on tap? We have on tap today the hidden gem. Sorry, the Hidden Gem, X-Men, House of X, Powers of X? Yeah, Powers of Ten. Well, yeah, yeah. we'll call it part of Dawn of X. I don't know if technically Dawn of... We'll get to that. It's a comic book series. It is a comic book series uh, created by none other than... uh, Why am I drawing a blank here? I've suggested... Jonathan Hickman. Jonathan Hickman. I've suggested his comics on the show many times. And the You Gotta Love It... For the episode is Detective Pikachu. Interesting movie, but we'll get there. Let's start with the hidden gem, House of X, Powers of X, the Dawn of X. Yeah, I think uh, we should preface this, but I think that one of the reasons this is also just a good uh, place to start after having not recorded, you know, it might seem a little bit weird to choose a comic book and like a superhero comic book, not like an indie or some sort of, you know, interesting underground comic is that I think that uh, obviously we haven't done a lot of episodes this year, really. And there's been a lot of stuff, uh, you know, TIFF, basketball, all of these things that we love that we could have covered. Um, there was a lot that happened in, in film and like blockbuster film, yeah. um, both on screen and sort of like what was happening off screen, the business side of things. Uh, and one of those things was, of course, um, we probably touched on it in a previous episode, but Disney's uh, acquisition of Fox uh, and getting all of those properties um, under their umbrella. Uh, so I think the way that that's related to what we're about to talk about is that one of those properties is X-Men, which, of course, Fox has been, uh, you know, butchering well maybe that's too for me it's butchering because i love x-men but they you know they've been kind of just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks right compared to what we are now used to in the comic book movie world the whole x-men franchise has kind of fallen flat yeah and it it was i mean you know you kind of got to give them credit because they were 
kind of part of the first wave, so to speak, of like but what we now know as superhero cinema. But kind of punctuated by a potential future, you gotta love it, of Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then the new Mut- new mutants. Who knows what's happening with that? It's a whole mess. But the but what we're gonna talk about this. Jonathan Jonathan Hickman was recently uh, tasked by Marvel Comics to. Uh, essentially do like a soft reboot. I don't even know what you'd call it, like a retooling. It's basically like a fresh start for the world of X-Men in the comics universe Yeah, that takes into account everything that's come before. Like it's not like we're, we're forgetting that any of that happened. None of that is canon. We're doing, we're completely hard rebooting them. It's like just a new arc, but in a very, very specific and intentional way kind of wraps up everything that's come before right in a nice bow and creates like a, an amazing boilerplate f- from which to proceed with you know these stories in the future yeah it was kind of like uh was it house of m maybe that yeah. ended off with wanda um altering all uh, like irrevocably altering reality such that there were like only like a thousand mutants left in the world or something um, yeah, I think it was even less. Yeah, it might it have been like 198, less. I think, or something like I, that. I, I don't remember the number, but yeah. Right. Um, it's kind of one of these, like, not extinction-level events, because it's not that, but it's just one of these events that kind of totally remaps the entire X-Men and maybe even Marvel Universe. Yeah, and I think I think two things. The first thing, I think why it's relevant for people who are non-comic readers, that if, I mean, if you've listened to this episode up to this point, and you're like, uh, I don't know, comics. If you have seen any of the MCU movies, even though I don't know that this comic story will translate directly or even partially to anything that's on screen, I think that it's important to note that this would have been planned some time ago, this comic book re- restart, but it kind of coincides in a way with all of the properties that uh, are based on these comics coming back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe's umbrella. If they were to, like, start bringing X-Men and mutants into the movies... It could be an interesting way to do it. It could be a good... There's, and, I, and we can even touch on that later. Because but, it's not even an origin story, really. But yeah. it does involve origins. Yeah. So, so it would be an interesting way to, to introduce the movie world to the new X-Men without... Yeah. Being like, oh, well, here's the X-Men movie you've seen a few times already. And I read a really great theory on that somebody wrote about how they think that they could use this specific story to do that. But I think, so that that's the first thing. It's just sort of like, you know, if you ever wanted to dip your toes into comic books that were, um, you know, like these hero movies were based on, but like were embarrassed or just didn't think that you'd give a shit. This story blew my mind. And I'm like a longtime X-Men fan. And... Uh, Koji is a longtime Jonathan Hickman fan, and it yes. is probably it is probably one of the best for me, one of the best hero story, like superhero comic book story arcs I've read, or at least I enjoyed it the most. And it's definitely the best like reboot or major event that re- repurposes everything. It's for sure one of those that is one, probably the most outside the box you'll get as far as major publishers it's brilliant yeah even the design like the the sort of trademark a lot of jonathan hickman's uh independent stories that he's released in the past have this uh um 
aesthetic, this visual aesthetic, the people that he works with, the artists he works with, the designers he works with. It's very uh, um, sort of stark, sometimes minimal, sort of futuristic uh, graphic design plays like a very heavy role in the, and, and that is true of this, which is sort of something that we've never seen. Yeah. Maybe on like a, on a mainstream, like headline superhero title. And he will routinely, in a lot of his books, and it's not always, uh, well, hold on. He will routinely have a single panel page that is mostly text. And when I say it's mostly text, it's not always a lot of text. Yeah. It might, in the same way that you would open another comic and it might just be a, a full page panel of, uh, Spider-Man swinging through New York City. Yeah. This is just a single page with a single X-Men's name on it. Yeah. And that's the whole page. Yeah. And with just text. It's like black and white. You're like, what is going on? Yeah. And there's like all of these symbols. The, I mean, but I don't it know. All, I feel, it, it all comes into play. So they oh, give it's you, amazing. At one point, they do give you a key to translate some of those symbols. Yeah. And I, I thought about it. I was like, should I go through this? And then I was like, yeah, I'm not going to. But before we get... Too far. Yeah, I'm getting weeds. carried away here. I'm just like trying to. I'm trying to set it up, and I've spent too much time setting it up just to be like, "Yo, bear with us. This is actually sick, and it is a good jumping on point." And also, uh, just yeah, I don't know. It ma- it it made me excited about X Men again. So let's talk about what the comic is sort of about. This is where things may get into some spoilerish territory, but it is about three timelines. Well, potentially three timelines uh, in the X-Men universe. One that takes place at the inception of the X-Men. One that takes place 10 years later. And another one that takes place 100 years later? A thousand. A thousand years. Oh, right. 10 times 10 times 10. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A a thousand years later. And it is... uh, I I don't know. So many things happen. It's hard for me to say what it's about. I think the... Yeah, I'll, let me try to distill it here, and yeah, I'm probably going to go on. You're so, probably better than me at this. So essentially, uh, whether you're you've ever read X Men comics or not, um, you know, there's decades worth of stories. It's very, it's a vast universe of characters. Like it's it's easily it could be its own standalone, like third. Like if there's Marvel and they have the Avengers, and there's DC and they've got Justice League, it's like Marvel's X Men could be its own thing. Like that's how many characters there are and so it's gotten really kind of like blown out and the you know the gist of the x-men's history is it's kind of thematically it's all about racism and prejudice um and you know the x-men are uh it's like a superhero team formed by uh mutants and mutants are just like they just start appearing naturally like human the next stage in human evolution is people start being born with powers the rest of us humans hate them uh, well, for the most part, and so um, they fight on behalf of mutants and also people. Like they're just they're regular heroes, and they they just protect people. Um, but there's like obviously that being the premise, there's a lot of room for gray areas and nuance, and you know, with a few notable exceptions, there hasn't been I don't think too many extremely sophisticated storylines told with these characters. But what Hickman's done is he's basically said. He looked at everything that's happened in the past to the X-Men. So you mentioned House of M, um, where, you know, a vast, the vast majority of mutants were just in the snap of a finger, like Thanos basically wiped up. They just stopped having, they stopped being mutants. Their powers disappeared. There was uh, an arc that was about a genocide. There's like just all of these horrible events that they've been subjected to. Um, 
as people try to exterminate them from the face of the planet. And so he was like... Also, I mean, to bring it back to something that's maybe more relatable to some of the listeners who don't uh, read comics, if you ever, you know, grew up in the 90s and you watched the cartoon, it also incorporates the whole Sentinels and Master Mold. Sure. And all, all of that sort of stuff that you would recognize from the X-Men cartoon if you watched it. Like yeah. Those Se- sorts of events. Yes. I mean, Sentinels being giant robots that were designed by humans to, to wipe out mutants and yeah. hunt them down. Um, and he, he kind of takes like a... Uh, Infinity War-esque approach in that, uh, spoiler alert for Infinity War, by the way, if you haven't seen it, I'm, why haven't you seen it? But uh, <laughs> he, he as he's going through these timelines, he t- uh, or the comic is going through these v- various timelines, you know, year zero, year 10, year 1000, he, you see the characters pass through some of these previous arcs, sort right. of, or they're, they're at least referenced. Or, yeah. Yeah. So and when and so that the whole thing that we keep bringing up about the timelines is essentially the mechanism for telling the story is that Hickman takes a character that uh, is named Moira McTaggart, who up until now we've all thought was just a human who is an ally of mutants and a love interest of Professor X, who's like the leader of the X-Men. Also present in the animated series. Present in the animated series. She was played by Rose uh, Rose Byrne in... uh, in I think was she, was she not wasn't she or was she she's she in played, one of the movies yeah she's I think she's in a couple of them but anyway the point is he reveals that she's actually a mutant and her power is that when she dies she's reborn with all of her memories of her previous life so what happens is she lives one life happily has a family dies in her eighties or something and then when she's born the second time confused and like scared and lost and not knowing what's going on she essentially pieces together that uh when she starts hearing about mutants appearing in the world that maybe she could be a mutant actually i'm not sure if that's her second life but the point is over the first couple of lives she realizes she's a mutant this is her power and she also gets to see what happens to mutants like time and time again they're just like hunted they're hated and so each consecutive life she lives she tries a different approach to save mutants so one time uh it's not even saving mutants though it's also just like essentially saving humanity sure mutants and humans included because right well initially but then she gets fed up at what she gets very disillusioned and discouraged at one point because she tries siding with say like the good guys and they end up getting wiped out yeah um she tries you know killing the people who are who would come to be the inventors of these weapons of mass destruction against mutants that doesn't work right so it's sort of like the old paradigm like if you could go back in time and kill hitler sort of thing mm-hmm. she does that but uh and interestingly enough like you know they say that some sort of invention like certain certain uh, milestones are inevitable right you know the atomic bomb as an example would be something that if <clears throat> you know um, Oppenheimer and Einstein, all these people didn't come up with uh, this. Yeah. Inevitably, somebody given enough time, somebody else would have come up with it. And so, you know, that's why those sorts of things, you see it ends up failing. And so she's trying all of these different uh, machinations to try and prevent some things that are seemingly inevitable. Yeah. And what's crazy about everything we've said to this point for like the last 20 minutes of talking is that's all basically just the setup. Like, yeah. there is a lot of meat in the story, but essentially the story itself is about 
She's lived many lives and she finally feels like she has a solution. She has a plan. She's seen all of these different outcomes. And uh, the comic kind of opens, literally issue one opens with, before you know any of this stuff, before you know about her power, it opens with her revealing her her power to Professor X uh, in what is kind of like our current, the current timeline, we'll say, of X-Men, like where the events would be happening. Because it kind of like... I mean, there's no way to know. True. That's the interesting part about this as well, is like... Because, and it's one of the things that I love the most about time travel or like time bending stories, because it's not really time travel in this case, but you never know really what life she's on. I mean, it it could have happened several times for all we know. We don't know that it's... That's true. It's kind of like Groundhog Day and those people who try and count how many days Bill Murray went through and there's like a rough estimate, but no one really knows. Yeah. It's sort of the same thing. It is. Except in this case, we know ultimately how many lives lives she's lived right and so and so the story yeah she reveals herself and she has professor x read her mind and he sees all of this yes all of the past all of the past lives and he sees that like his dream doesn't work and like all of these alternatives and so that is how he so effectively jonathan hickman when i say he so effectively summarizes everything that's come before like it doesn't write off any of that it's like oh these are all things that that could have happened or did happen and now moira and professor x have a plan they make a plan going forward about how they're going to proceed right and so then the part that koji was talking about a few minutes ago about the different times like year one year 10 year thousand uh that's sort of when we get into that that's like the story is told in sort of like these two veins and one of them is like sort of projecting it's 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 inc- it's really well done. I mean, yeah. it sounds convoluted and confusing the way we're explaining it, but it is it is like laid out in a way that is very, I think, very accessible. Well, yeah, but it's I, explained. Like I, you, you're you're with it the whole time. You're not like I'm confused, you know. And I will say that the the way Hickman writes generally, uh, you know, if you've ever read um, Nightly News or um, the one Pax Romana, Pax Romana, or a- any of them really, but like and I think he's almost perfected it with this book, is any of the confusion that you feel while reading it is incorporated into the story. Like right. the various timelines, I, I, we've done actually a pretty good job about not being spoilery. And I so yeah. I, I probably won't spoil it, but it's not obvious when you're reading it what the different timelines have to do with one another. Right. Other than that they are different timelines in X-Men history. Yeah. Or future or whatever. But, uh, and you're kind of confused at one point while reading it. Like, hmm, you know, you're waiting for it to all tie up, but you also don't understand why you're being shown some of the things you're being shown. Right. But it's all with purpose. Because when you get to the end, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's really, it's really, it had a lot of like those moments. And I cannot remember being so satisfied. I'd, probably Civil War was the last one where I was so satisfied having read it i was just like that this is like an example of what you know people dismiss i think even still like the fucking like scorsese and uh um uh francis ford coppola these people who are like shitting all over superhero movies and i think that that's a whole other conversation but people routinely dismiss these things um kind of 
out of hand because they still associate them with something that is um, very childish and colorful and kind of bubblegum and in many cases, you know, just for merchandising or a cash grab or whatever. And I think that it, for me anyway, it reminds me a lot of like, you know, when I was younger and, it, and I was reading comics before any of these hero movies existed and it's like comics weren't cool. Like I thought they were cool and they meant a lot to me. Right. And there was like, there was these, they're so imaginative in the way that they, even if it was very juvenile in the way the stories were told. And um, I think that this arc is an example of sort of the other end of that spectrum, like the the pinnacle, so to speak, of like somebody who is used to or traditionally writes essentially indie comics that are right. very sophisticated and about about politics and like these really lofty ideas. Like they're basically like novels yeah. with, with pictures or art and taking somebody who writes like that and giving them free reign. Like they really gave him a lot of space to like play with one of their most like longstanding and and beloved franchises right. and he fucking just kills it. So it's just like Well, I see I would kind of compare it to uh it, not in tone or anything, but like Todd Phillips the Joker. And right. I compare it that because it seems like you're talking about hero movies, right? Mm -hmm. Up until this point, hero movies kind of have kind of felt like you know, with a little bit of nuance, but have kind of felt like golden age comics. Mm -hmm. And by that I mean like when you think of, you know, the original Spider-Man animated series, uh, if any of you are old enough to remember that, or uh, Adam West's Batman, let's just say, yeah, it kind of feels like that era of comic because while there's been some nuance, it hasn't really been too much of an elevated art form. And I think that's why people are like, oh, it's just popcorn, it's just whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I think now that it's become so saturated, people you know, filmmakers are starting to have the ability to do their own sort of sure thing with it. And so I, I do think that uh, we're going to see some more complex yeah. hero movies. And I, I hope that, you know, someone will look yeah, at this absolutely. comic and, and, and maybe it's really, it's really something. cool. I will. Okay. We've done a pretty good job of not giving away any details, but I feel the need just because for something that's going to come after either stop it or just like, if you don't give a shit, You've been warned. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, the way that this story ends is essentially with. Oh, yeah. I was going to say before you say that, one of the things that I really loved about this is and I am probably just like a, maybe a little dead inside or something. It's hard to say, but I love stories that leave you with a feeling of like, hmm, you know, like I, it, it, I don't know how to feel like it's almost like a eternal sunshine of the spotless mind or something where at the end of that movie, they know that the relationship is probably doomed for failure, but they're just like, you got to try. Yeah. You know, and that's this comic gave me that same sort of feeling where it's just like, oh, yeah, we're probably fucked. But like, what oh, are we yeah. going to do? Yeah, it's so great. So it, it essentially ends with uh, a beginning, really. And it's the establishment of a like free state, like they establish a government, a mutant government. They establish themselves as a nation. And unlike in the past where, uh, for example, there was this, uh, you know, this island called Genosha. Um, it's also it, in the animated series. Also in the animated series, yeah. Um, it's really interesting to see because essentially because the leaders of the mutants, good and bad, like Magneto and Professor X, have seen 
what the possibilities are and they could see where they might have gone wrong through the lens of this one mutant whose power is to live these lives they basically just take advantage of it's almost like what would happen if the mutants used the full strength of their capabilities to not only make the world a better place but like to better themselves so they're basically like we're, we're establishing our own nation and there's fucking nothing you can do about it like we're all on the same side now good guys and bad guys fucking try and stop us but at the same time they're not just like they're stern but they're just like but we're willing to like still do what we've always done we want to would they come up they create a drug right that will like help humans they they just like it's it's almost as much about politics and the establishment of a nation as it is about these traditional heroes and absolutely it, and it ends with this council that's leading basically every mutant has is born with like a, a right to live on this island nation that they've established and it's like You've read this crazy story explaining how they get to this point, and you're left with like, ooh, I know, you know, for several decades, Apocalypse has been an X-Men bad guy, one of their biggest bad guys. Yeah. And now he's on this council because when they approach, they approach him and they're like, listen, this is what we're doing. We've, we've, in the past, we've been enemies, but we know that like, we fight for the same thing just in very different ways. Like he wants, he thinks mutants are superior and that's always what he's been about. Right. Uh, and Apocalypse was basically like, yeah, fucking great. Like, it took you long enough, you know? And so Ko when Koji's talking about that unsettling feeling, it's like it finishes and you're just like, oh, man, this is going to be crazy to see how they move forward from this point, having brought all of these people, all of the mutants back into the fold. And, uh, and that's sort of the jump off point for all these new comics they're relaunching. So it's like... But it also ends with the fact that they're just like... We've never won. Like, yeah. no matter what we do, we always lose. Yeah. And the idea, like, what they're putting forward isn't that, like, oh, maybe this time we'll win. It's yeah. just, like, we've always lost. We're probably still going to lose. Yeah. But, like, well, what's the alternative? Yeah. Do you know? There's just, like... Yeah. It, it, it's, re it's really great. There's a lot of really good good nuggets in there uh the art is beautiful and uh like i was saying like now that they have it recasts it it, it casts all of the traditional books in a new light like x-men is always marvel puts out so many fucking comics all these different teams you know there's like x-men gold x-men blue x-men red uncanny x-men excalibur x-force x-factor they're all these different and they and traditionally they're all different teams of of essentially doing the same thing they're all different shades of the same book where it's just a team of mutants that are kind of under the umbrella of this overarching organization that are out there fighting the good fight. Yeah. But now what they've done is the new comics that are coming out now, and I know this because I'm a huge nerd and I've read all of the the slate, like there's like a release list of like, these are the new books we're relaunching. You're going to have X-Men, which is like it's always been. It's about the core team. But then there's going to be like, there's a new one called Marauders, which is about the black market arm of their government that uh, ensures that like, you know, their trade with the rest of the human world is kind of like going according to plan, you know, and right. get, they're able to, to control the black market of this medicine that they've, they've created. X-Force will be relaunched as like their, the equivalent of their nation's CIA. You right, know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're like a black ops hit squad. They do what the other teams can't do. Excalibur, I assume will be about sort of like their European, 
uh, presence or their their presence in the UK, which is kind of what it's true. So it's just really interesting seeing him take these decades old comics that have all always kind of been about the same thing, like mutants fighting mutants, mutants fighting humans, right? And making it like really again, like it's quite quite a sophisticated setup. Like it's like each one of these new comics they're going to be releasing is not just going to be about fighting crime. Like it's going to be about all of these, the, the, the different aspects of running a country basically. Yeah. But with super powered beings, like it's fun. It's just to, like, I'm, I'm so excited to get super nerdy with it. It's almost like uh Battlestar Galactica in the, I want to say maybe early eighties, the original series, um, series the original movie movie series i don't remember it was it's kind of like a it was created as a sort of ape not an ape but like a a way to capitalize on the popularity of star wars it was just like okay let's put these people in space fighting robots and it was really cheesy and really terrible and it was just like you know whatever we'll try and make some money off of it and then you know the mid-2000s roll around and they they create they recreate this show Battlestar Galactica except now it's all political intrigue and like social commentary and all this stuff it's really elevated it's not even like it started as one thing you know based on this like Mm -hmm. crazy nostalgic whatever and it's become this like you know HBO-esque powerhouse TV show yeah and uh, I think that Hickman has been been able to do that with these comics where you know rather than oh Rather than uh, fighting, you know, the big bad or yeah. whatever, whatever threat is, is threatening humanity next, he's made it more of like, a, you know, he's updated it for 2019. Yeah. Politics is everywhere. There's, there's tension in the leadership of the they've invited people like they've invited people to break bread with them that they've been fighting for decades. And, yeah. and it's like you can tell that there's just so much room that feels fresh to explore for other writers not even hickman to explore within the space so it's really good i I think uh i'll throw one movie theory that i read because we have spent i feel like we spent a lot of time on this have we spent a lot of time on this uh no more than usual i would say i don't know but we're just nerding out i think oh it's so it's so fucking good uh so the one theory i read is that uh they will introduce or a way they could introduce X-Men into the MCU is through Moira. Yeah. So the idea would be that um, mutants have existed for whatever the last couple decades, but um, the events of this comic perhaps happened before the events of the MCU. So Moira revealed her visions of these previous lives to Professor X before Iron Man the Iron Man, the movie. Right. And what they, the first part of their plan was to basically make man forget or not realize, like hide mutants from the world. Right. Using all of their abilities, Professor X, you know, builds Cerebro to hide mutants. Yeah. So this whole time they've been in hiding, waiting for the right time to in, to implement the first phase of their plan and right. to reveal themselves to the world. And this guy was like, what better time than after this cataclysmic, like, there was no way that they were going to, this is where I kind of, it's like, oh, I mean, if they could help, it seems like they should have come in pre-Thanos. But right. the idea being that the snap would have still affected them. We just didn't realize that mutants were a thing. And sort of like this cataclysmic event has caused them to sort of like rethink 
their timeline. And so in this right. next phase, at some point, she could be sort of like the, or Professor X and her will kind of reveal themselves. And maybe we even see the X-Men already in this sort of state, like not like, you know, like this hidden nation, like yeah. maybe they introduce it slowly in post credit scenes as something is something big is brewing. There's something out there, right. but that essentially this I, would be I a just way to see a post credit scene where somebody like whatever happens and then somebody just plants this like purple yeah, exactly. flower. Exactly. And then you just see the flower and it kind of like, I don't know, something weird happens and then it cuts and you're yeah. just like, Oh, yeah, it's it. There's so many ways they could bring it in now in a in, in a way that would be sudden but would still make sense, or yeah. at least, you know, it would be shocking and and exciting, but like not have to work it up character by character the same way they did with the Avengers. So I don't know. It's I, at the very least, I think there's some things, some elements of this this arc that they're gonna implement because yeah. it's it's also been very successful as far as I know. Like as far like in terms of sales, like the first editions, the first printings were just selling out like crazy. Like some of them are on a fourth printing. Well, if uh, Disney Plus wants to create a West Wing style TV show about the inner workings of the X-Men Council, uh, I'll watch it. Yeah. You know, get... Uh, I'll be in it. Get Sorkin on the line yeah. and uh, let's make this happen. Uh, yeah, so I would say check that out for fans of things like About Time... Um, uh, live, die, repeat. The first fifteen lives of yeah. of Harry August by Claire North. Great book. Heavily potentially inspired this, and uh, I just want her to know that that's one of my favorite books. And credit yeah. where credit is due. I think you know what though. Good Christmas present idea. Holidays are coming up, and I think that the collected edition of this comic comes out at the beginning of December, like December 9th or something. So if you yeah. don't want to try to track down 12 individual issues of a comic or download it or whatever, you get a nice hardcover or trade paperback. It'll be a nice gift for somebody who's a bit of a nerd. And, uh, you know, maybe you can read it yourself. Get, yeah. get, get caught up on X-Men before they inevitably are introduced into film. Just go ahead. In, and a, in a way that's good. Buy that comic, pop it open, read it, baby. Read it, baby. Uh, Talking X-Men comics, baby. Okay. From one sort of, I don't know, animated, drawn <laughs> thing to uh, another. They're very loosely related, if at all. Yeah. But it's fine. Uh, both are related to... Being a know. nerd? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, we're going to talk about Detective Pikachu. Mm. A movie that came out earlier this year. Yes. <laughs> yes, earlier this year in the summer, I believe. Mm. Uh, ooh, about a boy who is estranged from his father um, and lives in a world in which Pokemon exist in the wild, kind of uh, what you would expect from the video game. And comes to find out that his father has been potentially killed and has to go back home to uh, collect his belongings slash figure out what the hell happened. And uh, I don't know, a movie ensues. <laughs> a movie ensues. It, yeah, this one was... A whodunit mystery uh, set in the world of Pokemon, but almost not really. So the... I'll start here by saying that one of the things that I really liked about this movie was the initial world building they did. Yeah. 
was actually like it felt I've now I've never really played the video game, but obviously I've experienced it uh, in certain ways, like Pokemon in general, and and I I know of it and what happens and the sort of gist of the game, where you are roaming around RPG style, and unlike Final Fantasy, let's say when you fight a monster, you can potentially then capture that monster to use it to fight other monsters. Mm. Um, and I loved the opening of this movie in which they're in a field and this guy, the, the the star of the movie, is supposed to capture his initial Pokemon. Um, it's like, well, come on. They're like roaming around. We've got one like ready for you. Yeah. Essentially. His buddy's like, try, is like it's about time. Like you got to... Right. But in the same way that like, I don't know, let's say I might... If pets weren't a thing, like you pet stores or whatever, I might go out into the woods and, you know, find a squirrel, take it home and be like, well, this is mine now. <laughs> right. Like that's kind of the world that they had set up. But all these crazy, fantastical creatures. And it was kind of interesting. Like it didn't it looked good. Yeah. It, it felt to me what I suspect. I mean, you can speak to this more than I can, but it felt to me like what the, you would want from the video game in, in like a movie form. But yeah. Then the whole thing takes a turn when they actually get to whatever Pokemon City or whatever the place is called. Yeah, it's it's I agree. I think that it it went it just took a really wrong turn. I think the story that they tried to tell within this for me within this world cuz again, it was it was initially very cool cuz one of the things that is is hilarious still about, you know, you'd see this on forums or just people talking about Pokemon. It's like all of the questions people have about the logistics of how Pokemon exists. Like what do the Pokemon do when they're inside the Pokeballs? Do people eat Pokemon? You know, like, right. cause there's no cows in, in the video games, but there sure. are cow Pokemon, but like people are friends with them. Do they also eat them? Is everybody vegetarian? So there are all of these like logistical questions that, you you would think one would address in a live action Pokemon film, at least some of them, and they do start to do that. And some of the humor is based around these sort of logistical yeah. barriers, but n not enough for me. There was too much focus on this wacky story that was happening. Uh, but I do think it's again, it it's just. There's a lot. There was a lot of interesting potential there, you know. Like it just so happens right. that this guy's dad was a detective, and so he had a Pokemon that he worked with as a detective. And because everybody sort of has a Pokemon that assists them in their duties, or maybe you know they're compatible with because of their occupation or whatever. Like you kind of see that when they're moving through the city, like you know, like somebody who's like a street grifter will have like a really shady Pokemon, like a right. Pokemon, you know, that's like a thief Pokemon, or you'll see like a doctor that has like a Pokemon that is traditionally like a healer or something. Right. It um, kind of felt like Zootopia. Yes, very much. Um, Though so, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah. Zootopia is incredible. But no, yeah, no, no. same. But like the the world, the city in which they, anyway, sorry to get back. So the, he gets to the city and it turns out that in the city, um, Pokemons are are not pets or servants of humans, but live and work alongside humans in sort of like uh, a free. So I, I can't even yeah think of a parallel, but you know, rather than us for the betterment of all, it's like they work together. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think 
the reason they do they did it this way for this movie rather than make uh, you know the traditional Pokemon movie. I can understand the most famous character in Pokemon is not Ash, the human that right. you play in the video game. Right. It's Pikachu. Of course. And yeah. so th- I think the first thing whoever whatever movie executive or whatever came up with this story was just like okay, Pikachu is the most famous and all he says is Pikachu. That's not going to work for a movie. How do we turn this character into the star of a movie as opposed to, you know, Ash or Team Rocket or right. whatever? Yeah. That's true. I mean, it, it there there's definitely Somebody put that dog in a pokeball. You're not you're, you're not working with me for the betterment of our society. Yeah. We're trying to trying to do a podcast here, Kiva. Okay. <laughs> okay, baby. <laughs> she, is there a raccoon out there? What's going on? She's like Hey, come on. Are you still recording? Did you pause it? No, no, no we're still recording. <laughs> Kiva! Come here. It's okay. It's okay. Come on. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, a lot of potential. Some interesting... Th- I think that's probably my favorite part of the movie. We haven't even really got to that part, but as we're supposed to be finding things to love about it is that I think that there was even if they didn't capitalize on it, maybe as much as I would have liked, there w- there is some great, some really rich world building. Um, and as a family movie that I'm sure a lot of people took their kids to, um, maybe a, like a little bit of an entry point, not for like people to really get into Pokemon, but just for them to sort of see a little bit more of what's, uh, you know, what why it's such a beloved franchise. Sure. Like, like, pe- like, it has been around for what, like, thirty years? It's crazy. Like forever. Yeah. It's been a very long time. It's been a long time. Uh, and and it's still going strong. Still new games coming out constantly. Like it's a very, uh, you know, very successful franchise. And I, the movie does kind of show you a little bit. It's kind of the first time they've done something of this nature. But right. You know. I mean, I guess we keep going back to it, but again, my favorite part is. Uh, the thing I love about this is just getting a glimpse of how humans would interact with these yeah. beasts in a world like this. But the main thrust of the story, uh, I mean, was there anything about the story that you loved? I mean, I'll say that the uh, the woman, the the love interest really bothered me. Uh, that was probably the part that took me out of the movie the most. Her mm-hmm. like zany, spy kids esque <laughs> yeah. level like dialogue and act, like it just wasn't great. Right. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it was horrible. Like the the idea that uh, you know he didn't the main character did not you know he was kind of estranged from his family. Yeah. And then. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, there's there's something about it that is a, that is kind of compelling, him trying to figure out what's happening. Yeah. It's just the backdrop is, like, distracting. It's like I want the backdrop to be the focus. Yeah. But because it isn't the focus, it just feels like a weird story to tell right. in that world, if that makes sense. Of I don't course. know how to, it, like... It's like a worse Who Framed Roger Rabbit is really what yeah, it comes down to. That's a very good 
Yeah, much worse. But that is yeah. a bit that is a, a, like a perfect comparison. A perfect yeah. comparison. Cartoons living in harmony with humans. humans. Yeah. But in this case, it's Pokemon, and it's a whodunit. There is a detective trying to get to the bottom of a. Um, what are some other things I like? I mean. At this point, you really know what you're going to get with Ryan Reynolds, but there was definitely a couple of chuckle-worthy lines sure. here and there. You know, this some of his quips were good. Um, so, I mean, I think he did a great job. Uh, genuine sh- shouts to Ditto for being one of the creepiest fucking things. Oh, that's the other thing that we haven't even addressed. So the movie looks very good, but all of these monsters... Yeah. in the game have always been rendered in the same graphical style. Either like, you know, initially it was black and white on Game Boy, 2D little pixels or little sprites, all the way to modern day, like Smash Brothers, the 3D games, but they all don't have texture. Like they're like textureless, whether like a Pikachu is furry, but it just is like solid yellow. Right. It's not furry they've, really they've in the games. They've always been depicted in traditional animation styles without yeah. any real detail. So the jump to live action, they treat them all like I would have loved to have been in the brainstorm sessions where they're like, okay, but what does a fucking Mr. Mime look like? Is he fleshy like a human? Right. Is he, you know, some of them look great. I would say that all the ones that were like lizards that had like scales or, um, you know, fish or things of that nature. The most obvious ones, basically. The most obvious ones are the ones that are really furry all looked fantastic but then because there's you know there's literally hundreds of pokemon at this point in the video games there's probably over 700 pokemon right and not all of them are just like animals some of them are like weird humanoid you know there's like a lot of really strange ones and so seeing some of those in this movie was fucking hilarious because it's kind of like a visual train wreck right but even that was kind of enjoyable like seeing because like i know that people put a lot of work into it and I'm not trying to say that like they did a terrible job. They did literally the best job they could do with what they were get the task, you know, like how else are you going to do it? But um, seeing that was really fun, like watching the movie. And then like as somebody who has played that, you know, I played the original game on on Game Boy when I was a kid and, uh, you know, some of the games here there since. So there's certainly some Pokemon that I'm familiar with and seeing how they made the translation to live action is is pretty great. Um, but ditto is easily, you know, so you remember the like sidekick, like the secretary who's always wearing sunglasses. Yeah. Yeah. And then at one point the sunglasses get knocked off and it's just has the ditto eyes. They're just like little black beady eyes on a human face. Yeah. And it was fucking terrifying. Like a kid would, it had the equivalent of like the end of, to, to use the same parallel at the end of Rod, who framed Roger Rabbit, the steamroller scene as a kid that that like frightened me, right? you know, like it gave me nightmares, the guy's eyes popping out and stuff, even though it's super cartoony. Yeah. uh, It like, it just something about it at that age just, you know, got to me. Like it gave me nightmares. Right. Uh, This movie, I feel like ditto is the steamroller (laughs) of this movie because a kid could be watching it, enjoying it because it's all playful and like, electricity and fire and like all of the Pokemon right. powers. And, and, and then there's just this. But it's, it's also just very clear the the, the demarcation between reality, he, reality and like human yeah. and Pokemon. Yeah. yeah. And then they just have this one scene where you realize that a ditto, which is like a pink 
puddle of goo with two black beady eyes that can shapeshift into any other Pokemon or object in this movie has been a henchman to the bad guy and has been shape-shifting and taking on other people's forms, but wearing these sunglasses so that people couldn't see the ditto eyes. Yeah. And at the very near, like near the end, the climax of the movie, the sunglasses get knocked off and it is genuine, like fucking Google that shit. It's like, if it wasn't set in such a family friendly movie, like it, it would be generally genuinely disturbing. Like it's, it's a weird, weird, uh, clash of, ugh, it's gross. So, um, I don't know that the questions that I normally ask apply to this because, uh, you know, you, we talk about like you're putting people in, in the reboot and, uh, you know, what, what would you like to see that sort of thing. But like, because it's a movie about animated characters, I, I don't know that the voice acting, you know, if you recast the voice acting or something, it would, it wouldn't make it a better or worse movie. So I'm going to skip those uh, questions. But uh, how much would you pay to see this movie? Uh, knowing what I know now, yes, I would probably just stream it on when it came to Netflix. Right. Yeah. I'd, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think the other thing is that, like, you know, sometimes we don't step back as much as maybe we could to to remove our bias from the context in which we see these movies but it is like a family movie yeah and i mean i don't have kids so i mean i don't know it's kind of hard to say like i feel like maybe if you in terms of telling people whether it's worth their time or not like if you have a kid that's super into pokemon absolutely see this movie yeah yeah you know like it would be worth it's like a worthwhile investment for you to to take your kid to see this movie. Even in that instance, in my mind, I would say like maybe like a $5 daytime matinee or something. Yeah. 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 You're not going opening night. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not shelling out, you know, whatever 20 bucks plus a person to see this movie. Cause yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And there's also, you know, there's also great family movies that we are more deserving of your hard earned dollars. But let me ask you a question. How much do you think this movie costs to make? Any idea? I mean, there's a lot of animation work that went into this, for sure. $100 million? Not bad. Uh, the budget was $150 million. Fuck, I was going to say 160 But then I was like, that's way too high. Uh, and how much did it make? We'll start with uh, North America. How much did it make in North America? Uh, against a $150 million budget. I don't know. Uh, I'll say $100 million again. $144 million. So Oh, not bad. Not I bad. mean, they didn't... Not, not bad. A, not a su- success by any stretch, but, you know, they didn't even make their money. They didn't even break even, so that would be pretty terrible. But a movie like this, they're not banking on... <laughs> yeah, they don't North give a America. shit about North America. <laughs> How much do you think this movie made worldwide? I don't know, $400 million. $431.6 million. Wow. So it is a resounding success. I'm surprised I was that close. Yeah. $436.1 million. Pretty crazy. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Good for them. Good for them. Uh, okay. So let's move on to our recommendations for the podcast. Okay. 
have anything to recommend? I do, yeah. I've been recommending it to you nonstop. It is the Netflix TV show, the German Netflix TV show, Dark, which has two seasons. Season two came out, I think, this June mm-hmm. or earlier this summer. Uh, great TV show. It is full of spoilers, potential spoilers, so I'm not going to say too much about it other than if you like like the OA or Stranger Things. It gets compared to Stranger Things a lot, but it's not really like Stranger Things. It's a dark uh, mystery thriller set in a small German town called Winden. And uh, that's really all I want to say about it other than it will be a trilogy. So there are two seasons out now. The first season came out, I think, in 2017. Okay. Second season just came out. Third season, I think, is slated for... Uh, because it has become a kind of a critical success. Yeah. And they're kind of rushing it, or not rushing it, but speeding it up. And I think it comes out next year, or it's slated to come out next summer. Um, yeah, hour-long episodes, ten, uh, I think 10 episodes in the first season, eight in the second, or maybe eight in both. But it is probably easily the most convoluted and intricate TV show I've ever watched ever yeah very very hard to follow it is um you're really selling it well just wait it's dubbed but watch it with subtitles is but i mean i can't i don't like things that are dubbed i'll just i would rather have subtitles i agree i hate dub um but the all music and the movie style all that being said is also extremely worth it to put in the time is okay. all i'll say like i think that if you're the type of person that that me saying those things dissuaded you like you don't want to have to work for it you wouldn't like the show anyway yeah you're not gonna watch it but it is very very worth it if you're like into things that are intriguing and like uh, it's one would hope that if you're listening to this podcast you are into intriguing things true uh and you're willing to put some work in because we put a lot of work in to watching the garbage or consuming the garbage i should say (laughs) that's true uh, okay, so my recommendation, just kind of stay on point with the uh, whole comic slash animated slash live action movie sort of situation. Uh, there has only been one episode, but it is a very interesting first episode of the HBO TV series based on the comic book, somewhat based on the movie, The Watchmen. Now, it's interesting to me on a few levels. Uh, The first level being, I mean, I like the Watchmen. uh, And it seems like they're really putting some some work into it. But uh, on a higher level, it's not, it doesn't follow anything that I know of the Watchmen previously. And I I, I don't know if it exists parallel to the movie maybe uh, or the comic or like followed out of those events or if it's a, um, you know a prequel or if it, it just based in the world of the Watchmen and is using those characters but is a totally different story just including those characters almost almost as if it's like a, you know an alternate reality X-Men sort of story or something mm-hmm. um, but it's clear that they're putting a a lot into it and it opens with uh, a sort of a very p- 
political bent. Mm-hmm. There's a, uh, it, you know, in the 50s or 40s or whatever, I can't remember the time, but uh, it, it's showing uh, a black family who is fleeing from pursuers. Uh, you, one can only assume that they're, you know, maybe, maybe they're going to get lynched or what the scenario is, but it's like a very sort of like kind of opening. And it, it kind of continues in that vein. And it's obviously, excuse me, it's obviously an alternate reality world where, uh, I don't know, heroes maybe exist or they, they don't really explain anything in the, in the pilot, but it's very compelling. The only thing that I know so far is it exists in a world where uh, being a police officer is so dangerous that they wear masks over their faces so that uh, people don't know who is police. And anyone who is a police officer essentially lives a double life pretending that they are something else mm. uh, because they fear retaliation right. from uh, a, a, you know, many groups of people, but one of the groups of people is um, what would seem to be a far-right group of militants. Like a hate group? Yeah, that wear Rorschach masks. That's all I know. Seems pretty crazy. Yeah, it's interesting, though. I'm definitely I'm definitely going to check it out. I've been meaning to. I just haven't had an opportunity. One, one last thing I'll say about my recommendation. Yeah. Uh, without giving, again, away too many details, it is very relevant to what we discussed earlier in this episode it is a, there's a major there's a number of devices that are very very parallel run very parallel to what some of the things that we talked about so charles xavier shows up at one point and reads somebody's mind that's it can't wait that's can't it. wait dark is actually just the story of Nightcrawler. german x-men yeah yeah oh, see what yeah. i did there yeah i see what you did all right uh thanks for joining us guys and as always keep Loving it, baby. Baby.